Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey everyone, we're glad to be back with a new episode of the Brand Matters podcast, your weekly show. About branding and technology. Today we're going to go over a short brand story about the Google Home Mini pop-up donut shops that are happening around the U.S. And I'd like to go over some of my thoughts from an e-marketer interview that went live this week about new app trends in the Chinese mobile market. First up, let's talk Google Home Mini. So last week I mentioned as we went over the recap of the Google event that I felt the Google Home Mini was one of the most exciting products that was announced. And for me, it was an instant buy. So I went on right after the event and I pre-ordered my Google Home Mini, which will be coming in the next you know week or two. But shortly after, Google started opening these, these mini stores for the Google Home Mini and they themed the, the stores around a donut shop which I thought was a really fun idea. Lots of great color. As they say in the the modern marketing parlance, it's very grammable. So, you know, it's got the confetti shop. It, all, it kind of reminds me of the Museum of Ice Cream, which has been a very big hit on social. Very much about creating exciting and visually stimulating experiences that appeal to young audiences that want to project their own personal brands onto social. The, the Google Home Mini shop lets you try for a chance at getting the device early, which I think was, I have mixed feelings about. As a pre-order customer, it's hard for me to think, okay, I pre-ordered, but other people go out and get it early. But at the same time, I love that they're willing to take a chance and and put that device at, in the hands of customers early. So it's a great thing. I'm just a little jealous. I actually went down to the store in Soho in New York uh, on Sunday. You know, I saw a few posts on social, was looking at Twitter, some videos, and it looked a lot of fun. So I went down there early. It was raining. It's like 9 a.m. I was hoping that the millennials would be asleep because it was Sunday morning. They should be waiting for, you know, bottomless brunch at 11. Unfortunately, the lines were packed. And it was New York Comic Con that same week, so it was a lot of, a lot of people in town. There were probably hundreds of people online went down, uh, let me see, like two or three blocks. So people were waiting to, to go in and try their chance at either getting that donut or better yet, the Google Home Mini. I didn't get to go inside because I didn't have the time to wait, I don't know, it must have been over an hour to get through that line. But it was just fun to peek my head in and, and, and see and I thought, hey, we'll, we'll probably talk about it on the show. It looks like the donut shop's coming to nine cities in the US. It's, in, it's going to Brooklyn, It'll go to Chicago, Madison, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Oklahoma City, Austin. I think it already came through Los Angeles, though might have more dates. San Francisco, and then Toronto gets one as well. That's a that's a lot of work to put through, creating these pop-up shops, putting these conveyor belts in that are that are rotating the Google Home Minis along with little donut models. And it's interesting because if you look at the margins on the Google Home Mini, doing a pop-up like this is going to be quite expensive if you're just thinking about the devices but when you imagine this as a chance to really 
take the Google Home brand and put this into people's minds and more importantly, put it into people's homes. It's a huge opportunity and doing something that's very winsome, has a lot of fun, has a lot of appeal, I think is going to be a great, a great win for the brand. Yeah, hopefully if you're in any of those cities, you can get a chance to check out the, the pop-up shop. I think also Google's opening a full made by Google pop-up store in New York and maybe LA. And those will be not just the donut theme, but, but also have some of the other devices and, and more. So if you get some selfies in the confetti booth, hopefully post them and have some fun with it and look forward to trying out Google Home Mini. We'll have some impressions in a future week once, once we've tried it at home. I'm especially interested in seeing my four-year-old if he's ready to interact with the Google Home and ask questions and and engage. I know some of the marketing the videos around the, the new mini were, uh, you know, kids having parties, be able to ask questions, play games, and learn. So, so that's going to be something I think our kids, uh, depending on how old you are, but the kids of the next generation are going to grow up with virtual assistants. And the current batch of kids is really the first to have these interactions at talking to Siri, talking to Google Home, talking to Alexa. And so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how kids take to it, whether it can help with schoolwork or help with socialization, engagement, help with curiosity. Those are things I'd love to see. On the negative side, Google did make a misstep where they had sounds like a few Google Home Mini devices were accidentally recording and sending to Google all of the audio information. This is terrible. It's nice to do a cute donut shop, but Google really needs to get this under control. And I know it's supposed to be just a mistake, but when you're putting listening devices in people's homes, you can't afford to have these kind of mistakes. Privacy is important. Google already got into trouble, if you remember, Years ago, they were sniffing Wi-Fi for their mapping, and they downloaded a bunch of data off of unsecured home wireless networks. And that's something that I've never really, it's never sat with me well, even after they resolved the lawsuit, because in my opinion, that's not something that, it's not a mistake that you make accidentally. It takes a bit of code to actually download all this data. And so that's just something I know they were fined and... And this is another example where you need to have safety checks or safety valves to make sure that this cannot happen, even if you have to hardwire it or something. And so I'd like to see more from Google. You know, branding isn't just about the cute stuff, but this is a case where if the Google Home brand becomes associated with surveillance or recording or accidental leaking of private situations, this can be devastating for a company, devastating for a brand. Even beyond just the branding issues, it's a terrible violation of privacy and so I'll be keeping an eye out when my unit comes making sure that it's not you know sending everything I do to Google and I hope that between you know Dropcam and other uh, you know the, the Google Clips all the all the different devices that we have that are keeping an eye on us whether it's audio or video we need to have greater awareness and greater security by manufacturers to make sure that they're protecting the privacy of their consumers. I don't know, maybe two points for the Google Home Mini donut shop and then minus five points for for Google screwing up with uh, one of the 
review units having a constant surveillance bug in it. Hopefully they get that under control. If not, I guess a lot of these are going to go in the trash, but shame on Google for, for that mistake. Maybe they should give everyone free donuts to make up for it. Okay, moving on to segment two. A couple weeks ago, I stopped by the eMarketer office in Midtown to talk to Manchung Cheng about what makes apps thrive in China's mobile landscape. Our newly launched Cheetah data team had compiled some interesting trends for what's going on in the mobile app market in China, and we wanted to talk about that. The first topic was, what are the different categories of fast-growing apps in China? The first category is short video apps, Douyin, Kuaishou, and Huashan. What we found is in addition to the content side of these apps, there's a social aspect that creates this virality for the videos propagating, and that has increased adoption not just in the the big cities in in China, but also out to even close to the rural areas. So short video is quite popular, and it's not nearly as popular as WeChat, but it's certainly giving it a run for uh, engagement and time spent in the app. We're seeing a a ton of interest there. Another category that's done really well in China that we're not seeing quite yet globally is bike sharing. That's really quite an amazing service where you can sign up for the app and then grab a bike and then ride it somewhere and leave it and then pick up a new bike later. I know in the U.S. there have been some car sharing services that have tried it at a kind of a bigger scale. But, you know, bike sharing, it's difficult to pull off because you got to figure out how to keep your bikes from getting stolen how to keep them, you know, get them parked in the right place. And there's, of course, these operations and logistics that have to go into moving the bikes around. In New York, City Bike has done pretty well. Uh, there's a lot of City Bike stations all around. But in terms of scaling that out, that's really just one city solution and, and hasn't really evolved into something that you see across the U.S., which doesn't necessarily always have the density to make bike sharing make sense, but... We'd love to see come out of China and and do well in other bike-friendly cities. For bike sharing in China, it's a little bit of the right time, right place, where there's this moment where the mobile phone ownership and engagement is penetrated and cap access to capital to get something like this off the ground is ready. And so there's a moment where people say, okay, we're ready to start using this. The other thing that we're seeing is Tencent's Honor of Kings has really kicked off this new wave of gaming and mobile gaming popularity. The MOBA genre has been extremely popular on PCs, especially for esports. It's nice to see a mobile game really take the ball and run with capturing the interest of of gamers. It is Honor of Kings is just going bonkers in China. It's really a great case study for how to build a product that connects with fans and takes off. Why are these particular categories of apps growing so quickly? I mentioned earlier social features is really one of the one of the reasons and I think it goes without saying that the more social an app is, the more of a chance it has at spreading. But I think you have to you have to figure out a way to to harness that. How you build social features into your app isn't a given. In some cases adding integrations takes away from the overall experience because it moves your users off platform. And so I think what Chinese companies are doing a great job of is figuring out how to build internal as well as external social features that make a user sticky. 
and make a user one of your own fans to help recruit new users to come see their content or come engage with them in your service. So that's a question we have to ask ourselves as we build products is we're, we're thinking social because we know how important that is, but are we thinking about how to use the social for the best interest of building up the, the community, the brand, and the product? Another reason why we're seeing these apps grow really quickly is O2O or online to offline. O2O in China is just ripe for taking off in part because of the way that mobile commerce has worked, the cost of labor, the ubiquity of mobile engagement. And I'd love to see more O2O in the US. I know that some startups have tried it with like laundry. Of course, food delivery is, is a great example. We're seeing a bit more with service delivery. It's historically been harder to do in the U.S. because it is spread out. You know, you look take a city like L.A. and you're not going to get someone driving, you know, an hour across town to try and bring you something. It's just the prices aren't going to work out. And I think some of that is as we build in more bikes or electric scooters. And, and I think one of the challenges is as we move away from single-owner cars, are we going to create an opportunity for cities to reimagine how services and goods are are moved across that city and combined with a technology layer the online piece will that make it easier for these types of services to also proliferate outside of china and especially you know in the west i think so i think i think we've got we've got some time to get that figured out certainly when we look at the bigger city planning picture it's an interesting question how do we accommodate for this new workforce and these new services, people running everywhere to bring, you know, one piece to another. And at some point it may be drones or autonomous vehicles or something. We're looking forward to that convenience, but also need to make space for the people within the whole system. Another question eMarketer had was apps that are seeing success in China, will that translate overseas to other markets? And I would definitely say it's not a given. I think China is an is a extremely unique market, and other countries often experience much more fragmentation within their overall market. So, you know, a viral app in the U.S. may go viral on a bunch of different social networks, and you can't always jump from the Facebook crowd to getting over into Snapchat. Or, you know, there's other countries use WhatsApp or Kik. Uh, you know, in Asia, you also have other, other apps like Line. So I do think that Chinese companies benefit from um, a form of what I call monocultural and mono market, And that's just an aspect where in, in China you have, say, if you integrate with WeChat, you have this ubiquity to reach pretty much everyone. It's saturated. You know, your uh, most of your work can be done in Chinese, and you have that one language to reach the whole market. So, so China is a massive market. It does have pretty clear boundaries on it, and... That, I think that's made a unique situation for a number of startups that have pursued uh, the, the China strategy. Whether those will expand overseas, I think it's, it's a challenge. At Cheetah Mobile, one of our theses is that we are more alike than different as global consumers. And so certainly there are, there are apps and products that appeal not just in China, but also to the world. And so I'm not going to say that it's not possible. I'm not even going to say that it's unlikely, but what I'd say is some of the reasons why apps have been able to succeed in China aren't 100% at play in other markets. And so 
it's contributed, I think, to why a lot of countries um, don't have the same types of ecosystems that we see in China. When you look at overseas companies trying to come into China too, it has been difficult to succeed. And part of the uh, barriers to really understanding and, and going deep into the China market have made it uh, a very unique situation that I don't think we can just extrapolate for the rest of the world. When we look at services that have succeeded in China and whether they'll come to the US and other markets. I will say that of the app categories that we are seeing trying to jump outside of China and and head international, we are seeing bike sharing tested in, in other countries and other cities. And so we are optimistic about that model potentially working in the right urban context. And then live streaming is something that became really popular in China and has a whole industry built up around it. And, you know, Cheetah's been exploring with LiveMe. We've seen other live services coming along. And I think there's a lot of potential for U.S. consumers and Western consumers to also have an interest in live broadcasts and virtual gifting and and engaging with broadcasters in a way that the Chinese market really was the first to model and show was uh, sustainable. So those are a few categories that we're keeping an eye on and, and watching how things go. Even if you're not directly marketing to China, I recommend taking a look at apps like WeChat, uh, Honor of Kings, the bike sharing services, uh, live streaming and short video. In many ways, the Chinese mobile market is a few years ahead, and you can look to it to see how other markets may follow in the next few years. One great example of that is mobile payments. Being able to use WeChat and Alipay as these cashless systems has really made China much more convenient, has really jumped up the types of transactions that people can make even in ad hoc situations. Another West has had credit cards for decades where some of the Chinese middle class weren't as interested in the, the credit system as it was expressed you know, through global banking. But I think this is a case where Chinese consumers had a chance to jump a step. Some markets like China and India had a chance where consumers could just skip, say, the PC era or the broadband desktop era and jump straight to mobile, jump straight to, you know, wireless data, and in doing so, catch up and even jump ahead. And so that's something we're seeing with the Chinese market is a sophistication of the mobile user and a saturation of the mobile use case. So it's worth keeping an eye on as if you're a marketer or a, you know, global brand, seeing some of the trends that are happening in China how those are going to affect overseas. I expect to see some of these models that are working in China right now be proved to also work out in the West. And they may be proved by some of the big companies in the West, like the Googles and Facebooks, or they may be proved by new startups that learn from what they see in other markets and apply those learnings to realize that they can bridge to overseas markets. So I had a fun time sitting down with the marketer and sharing those thoughts. And if you're interested in more insight into the China market, you can keep an eye out for more Cheetah data and Cheetah Labs reports, which we'll have 
coming out soon. In the meantime, thanks again for listening to the Brand Matters podcast, and we'll see you next week. I'm Josh Ong, your host, and this episode has been produced by Sebastian Liu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.